0: Welcome to Minefields. It's me, Joshua Michael, your friendly neighborhood, Joshua Michael. I also have the friendly neighborhood, put everyone over and make sure everyone succeeds, Mr. Big Guns Justin Andrews on the line. How you doing, brother?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, We're recording this on Wednesday night. I just got done watching Dynamite. It's my favorite day of the week because, you know, not since the Monday Night Wars have I had an occasion where my family gets to sit down and, you know, eat dinner and watch wrestling together and just sort of... You know, on, Mon- on the Monday Night Wars, we would be looking forward to the week. But now on the Wednesday Night Wars, we get a sort of take a break halfway through the week, and it's a big family event. So I'm in a good mood. I'm full of energy. Let's do it.
0: No, that's awesome, man. That, that makes me happy to hear that that's uh, actually a family thing that people do, is sit down and watch the, Monday Night- the Wednesday-, Wednesday Night Wars. Do you watch uh, NXT at all?
1: I do, but so-, so we have Hulu live. And for some reason, where we he- are here in Colorado... NXT doesn't come on until 9. Oh. So um, I usually end up watching it, uh, you know, tomorrow being Thursday uh, between classes or something like that. Uh, my family isn't as big into NXT as we are into AEW. It's just one of those things we got invested into early on. We've seen AEW live. We went on the Jericho cruise. We're going on the next Jericho cruise. So for us, AEW is kind of our thing.
0: I love that man. And I I've been there with you man. I've been I've been with AEW since the whispers of it started when uh before we even knew that all out all in was going to happen. And then that that anticipation until that we knew something was coming and getting, getting to get announced in January. And then there was our there was a a whole new it was a whole new world. <laughs> Jericho gets behind it and and we've got something amazing going on and don't forget that Wednesday comic books come out too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I haven't had a pull list in, in many, many years because, once again, we've got this great technology. So I am, uh, I've been subscribed to Comixology on my Kindle Fire for, gosh, four or five years now. Um, so I, I rarely go to the comic book store anymore, but especially now in the plague, it's so convenient just to open up my Kindle and have my digital pull list ready to go.
0: Well, uh, I'm glad you said that because I, I, I'm I like the only one that uses it because we have a Minefields account for um, uh, DC app, uh, Comicsology, and Marvel. I'll send you my login so you can use them whenever you want.
1: Man, that would be awesome. I mean I have DC Universe as well. Um, I tend to use that more for the shows and the movies. Uh, my daughter and I are really into Stargirl. Um, nice. And then, of course, the Doom Patrol series is – I thought Titans was pretty good, but Doom Patrol is way better.
0: Doom Patrol and is way better. And uh, swamp swamp thing, I'm still wrapping my mind around. I haven't decided if I really like it yet because I'm like really touchy on anything that Ellen Moore writes. But but even then, uh, God, the DC app. Like when when I first got it was because of Doom Patrol, and I was just completely blown away by it because. You, you watch the first episode and then it like unloads and it says, hey, you want to watch the first ne- next episode or do you want to read Doom Patrol comics or are you one of those comic book assholes that only, wanna read, only wants to read Grant Morrison Doom Patrol? I'm like, Jesus. look <laughs> like, awesome. Right. I love well,
1: it. so my thing is – and here's a little inside peek into Justin Andrews. I am a huge, huge Brendan Fraser fan. Oh Always God. have been. Uh Rick O'Connor in the Mummy, like that's who I wanted to be. That came out when I was a teenager. I grew my hair out like that. Um huge, huge Brendan Fraser fan. So when he was Robot Man, I was like, man, I've gotta watch this show.
0: Uh one of my favorite movies of all time is Blast from the Past. <laughs> okay. I love yeah. I love <laughs> that movie, man. It's so sweet. It's so innocent. There's it there's there's no fuck up in it. Like like you know those stories where it's boy meets girl. Uh, guy screws up. Uh, no, it was this sweet man, like, learning, like, <laughs> whose house just happened to be above a, uh, a pornography store in the valley. <laughs> and it, Chris.
1: Oh, no, um, I, usually there's two types of Brendan Fraser fans there's, like, the mummy fans, like myself, or there's, like, the Encino Man fans. So it's nice for people to be into the, the deep cuts in the Brendan Fraser catalog.
0: Monkey Bone loved it. And I appreciate you sharing with me, but we are here for a specific purpose. Uh, I. One of the things that really I enjoy about people is when they are wholeheartedly themselves. And it's a difficult thing to do, especially now. I feel like a lot of people are pressured into pretending that they don't believe in what they believe in or that they're not as uh, Catholic as they really are. Or 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 it's difficult for people to express their love of Christ or their love of of whatever it is that they believe in because they're going to get shot down and told that they're wrong. But – You've got this, you know, extra added um, uh, beefiness to you because if anyone says anything to you while you're getting ready, you're you're showing off. You're in your suit and your yarmulke. No one's gonna mess with you. Uh,
1: yeah, that's uh, that's true. Most people don't have cross words to say to me.
0: No, no, uh,
1: I'm I'm swear in person. I'm not that intimidating of a guy, but um, yeah, I mean, when you see a big. Muscly guy with a lot of tattoos. You're generally not going to, you know, ridicule him for anything. <laughs>
0: no, no. And typically, I get the everyone always thinks I'm like some S and M bondage guy that's into Satanism, and that's that's not that's not to the truth. But uh, I definitely enjoy it because it keeps people away from me, and people don't generally mess with me at all. But uh, the reason we, uh, and I really appreciate you uh, guys, minefielders. I've been trying to figure out a way to get guns on the show. We wanted to do this last year on Hanukkah, but like we weren't able to. And then uh, Yom Kippur came up and I messaged guns and he was like all about it. So that was uh, last Sunday, correct?
1: Uh, Yeah. So it was sunset on, uh, well, yeah, nightfall on Sunday to sunset on Monday.
0: And uh, I remember seeing your post, like, Hey guys, I'll be gone for a little bit. I'll be back.
1: Yeah, so you, you, it's in in Judaism, even for secular Jews. Uh, and we'll get into this into the weeds a little bit more about the different types of Judaism. But even for secular Jews, it's sort of the holiest day of the year. It's the day uh, where you're sealed in the Book of Life, right? It's open on Rosh Hashanah. Uh, God has sort of written down where He's going to put you for the year. And then it's sealed on Yom Kippur. But generally, for for any type of Jew, secular to ultra ultra orthodox Haredi type of Jews, it's a day to pause, reflect, offer up some personal sacrifice, and make repentance for the things you did in the last year. Maybe the people you've hurt. Um, you know, I sent a couple emails uh, to some people that that I. Felt There wasn't necessarily animosity, but there were some things that didn't go the way that I liked and asked them for forgiveness. Everyone is very cool about it. But you sort of insulate yourself for that 25 to 26-hour period. It's traditional to fast, to not shower, to not drink water, to not wear leather shoes, to not have any sort of sexual relations. Okay. Some people do all of that. Some people don't. Uh, I do it. Um, I've I've only been serious about all of those for two or three years. But I did it in the middle of Afghanistan. So if I can do Yom Kippur in Afghanistan, I can definitely do it here. Um, It really does. It really brings you in touch, whether you believe in a spiritual side or not. It really brings you in touch with yourself and your own personal failings. And that's really what it's all about
0: is – let, let's stop before we get too far. Let's stop before we get too far because I've got some questions from what you said so far. So, All right. th- this is this is a day of reflection. Um, how hard is it to get into the right mode to really admit to yourself that you have not been the best Justin Andrews that you could have been? How do you sort that out? I mean, are, are you are you keeping a journal? I mean, are you, are, are you obviously you got to get say the right things and make sure you do it right to be the best possible you. But then also, you have to figure out a way to say it sincerely. Uh, How do you go about doing that yourself?
1: For me, it's always easy. I'm always uh, fairly self-critical of myself. Not always. I wasn't as a teenager. I wasn't when I first joined the Marine Corps. I was very full of myself. I didn't care who I stepped on. But as I got older, it, it just, it does. It becomes easier. Um, You you might call it neurotic, you might call it, I don't know, just good at self-reflection, but I'm generally fairly aware of my own failings, and I'm blessed with even all these years of wrestling and being in the military and all the headshots I've taken, I do have a really good memory still. So if something uh, did not go well in the last year, I can generally remember it. It generally will stick with me, or it'll come back to me.
0: It's a heaviness.
1: It is. It is. And, you know, it, it depends on how serious you take it. It could be anything from, you know, you said the wrong thing to your neighbor one time and they gave you a weird look to you haven't spoken with your parents in six months. You know, there's there's varying degrees of it. And, again, it, it, it's a very personal thing. So you never really want to uh, – you know, categorize it for someone else because it's supposed to be a personal experience.
0: When, when you're talking about, uh, abstaining from water, food, uh, sex, uh, in that you, you, you do what you want to do. Uh, how would you feel if you would get nitpicked by someone that was more orthodox that is strictly by the book that would say like, Hey, you're just picking and choosing what you want to do. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. Um, I I think it's great that you do that because I feel that everyone has their own path and I I understand that a lot of these these texts were written to uh, straighten a lot of people that weren't exactly uh, malleable in the way that they should be in terms of like, you know, like when you talk uh, – my dad, for example, uh, is very Catholic and I I respect his religion. I'm not – I don't – Consider myself a Catholic anymore, but he a couple of years ago he started going very by the book. And the man loved lobster, shrimp, halibut. No bottom feeders, no more. Like he like we can't eat bacon anymore. Like uh, we got to be. I remember I I actually freaked out on a on a uh, uh, IHOP guy one time, uh, when he was like, "I'll oh, just take the bacon off." I'm like, no, it touched his damn food. And it like like he I shouldn't have done that, but at the same time, though, I respect what he what he does. How, do you, how would you respond to someone that is trying to either criticize you or get to know a little bit more about why you're able to pick and choose how you celebrate Yom Kippur? Uh, sure. Uh,
1: I've actually had those conversations um, with conservative Jews. I don't, I don't really talk to Orthodox Jews, not that I wouldn't. It's just I don't know any. Uh, I've talked to some Chabadniks, uh, some Lubavitchers in the past. I view Judaism as a culture, um, and through the lens of Reform Judaism, which is my particular branch, we see these traditions as something that binds us socially and culturally, as opposed to religiously. For us, the religious aspect is a very personal experience, and it's a journey of self-discovery. That's not to say that the the Torah uh, is something that should be totally ignored, but it's also something that we recognize as something that was written of its time. Correct. And if we want our culture and our people to survive, we can do that within the confines of the modern world. So an ultra-Orthodox Jew, uh, you know, The ones I'm talking about with the four locks and the long beards dressing all in black, the wide-brimmed hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They try to live outside of time. They try to live outside of society. And they believe, to them, in their personal journey, that's how they're going to be closer to God.
0: Now, I like that specific phrase, their personal journey. They picked their path. You picked your path. Other people pick their path. I've met Satanists that are some of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life, and they're not the ones that like believe in Lucifer and worship uh, worship the devil, and uh, they're not even like the Laveys like that are just really into hedonism. I mean, like uh, like have you you've met Ryzen, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean Ryzen is a big ball of positivity, and I, I really enjoy. I, I don't know him personally, personally, but I I do like whatever facade he has going on, because I really do believe his heart is in the right place. And I think that's what the key is, is your heart to be in the right place. And Uh, Yeah. And I mean,
1: in that specific example, I mean, I first met Ryzen in 2009. We started being on shows together, I believe. So we go back a ways. And yeah, he's never been someone that was, uh, you know, ever really in a bad mood or ever down on someone. And you might see him or, or see not just his, his wrestling character, but, you know, how he lives his life, and it would be easy for someone who's maybe not as open-minded to see problem. Agreed. And in Judaism, or at least in Reformed Judaism,
0: mm-hmm.
1: again, it comes down to that personal journey, the personal sacrifices, the personal self-discovery. And the ultra-Orthodox... They don't necessarily agree with that. They believe this is what it is. There's no room to waver. Right. But I'm not going to criticize that because their that's their journey. their personal journey, and that's how they want to live their lives. Right. It's not up for me. It's not up to me to to say whether that's right or wrong.
0: It's not up to anybody. Uh, it's 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 up to them and God, and, or whatever you call God. And I, I think that. I, I I would like people a little bit more open about that sort of thing because I'm open to it because I want to learn. I, I've i taken religious studies. Oh yeah. Okay. Whatever. I took a couple of classes in, in college, but even then I, I, I want to know, I find beauty and in, in, I, I even find some beauty in the Quran and it's not popular to say that because uh, especially coming from a military family um, that in military culture, that's, kind of frowned upon, that you would find beauty in something that everyone thinks is evil or uh, something, uh, a threat to God knows what. We can get into that later. But I want to talk about your own, you mentioned a few times, your own personal journey. Uh, I guess the bluntest, easiest way to start it is like, how old were you and what were you doing when you realized you were a Jew?
1: Uh, I mean, pretty early. So my dad's mother's side of the family uh, specifically her mom's side of the family, yeah. uh, is is Jewish, going back uh, many, many generations. Now, they married into a Catholic family. So I had a great aunt and a great uncle who were very devout Catholics. Okay. And then my grandmother sort of had her put in two worlds. And my dad was totally not religious at all. I had uh, a Jewish friend growing up, we grew up together, um, and I used to celebrate the high holidays and Hanukkah over at his house, and it was very much part of his family. Um, And that's when my dad first told me then, and just kind of left it at that.
0: Did he give you the choice? Um,
1: My dad's super agnostic, so absolutely one of those things where he was just like, eh, whatever.
0: Right.
1: My mom also was uh, not religious, and my mother was not raised religious. Neither really was my dad. My dad spent some time in Catholic school um, because it was the best school in the area he grew up in at the time. My grandfather was um, So my mother had some personal issues, and the thing that helped her personal issues was she became a born-again Christian. And I really rebelled against that. This is when I was, you know, 10 to 12 years old. I really rebelled against it because I had uh, personal issues with my mom. My parents divorced. I won't get into that, but I had issues with my mother. Okay. Uh, and just the way family courts worked in the small town that I grew up in, I was forced to go to church with my mom uh, twice a month. A Christian church. And I met some good friends there. I met some good people, but I hated the experience. And Christianity was sort of forced upon me by my mom and, of course, also by the family courts. Um, different time, maybe. I mean, I'm not that old. You know, you and I are roughly the same age. Yeah. And But I also grew up in Montana. <laughs> So, oh, they okay. believed, you know, going to church was the best thing for me, it was going to turn me into a good person, it was going to make me love my mother, and my dad really didn't care one way or the other. Um, so, to get my mom off my back, I just kind of said, alright, whatever, I guess I'm a Christian. So, when you join the military, they ask you, for your dog tags, what religion? Right. And I said, oh. I guess I'm a Christian, and this is where uh, a lot of people, especially in wrestling, because I wrestle without a shirt on, or if I am wearing a shirt, it's just a singlet. They see I have the big cross tattoos on my belt. right? And that is the most common question I get. People are respectful about it, uh, but they, you know, they ask, "Hey, man, you know, you're coming to these shows, uh, which are always on Shabbat. You're wearing a kippa." Yarmulke, you're always talking about, you know, Jewish this, Jewish that. You're doing these holidays. And that was something that I had to to reckon with. Okay. When I was younger, I was Christian by, not by force. I don't want to say that. Like, I, I, it wasn't beaten into me. I wasn't sent to, like, a camp or anything. You know, there's lots of horror stories of what people went through. It was not like that at all. But it was something I did to to fit in. The same time that I was doing all that, I was still hanging out with my friends and within the small Jewish community there in Montana. Um, Eventually, when I started to look more into my family's history, I started to realize I identify more with this part of my heritage this Jewish part of my heritage, because I thought I would remember back to when I was a kid and when I was a teenager and I was hanging out, I don't want to mention their name because I didn't talk to him before going on the air. And I don't know if he wants the name out there for any of this, but remembering my friend's family and in how much joy there was when we would get together for these holidays or when I would go to one of their services. And it was so different from, the experience I had with Christianity, where it was all doom and gloom, and it was all you've gotta do this or you're gonna to go to hell. You've gotta do this or you'll let be left behind in the rapture. I have You to, remember the you remember the left behind books?
0: I have to you know? uh, I have to interject here. Um, being a little kid and and I, I relate to what you're talking, it wasn't forced on you, but it was just kind of the way of life, so that's just how shit was gonna be. And right being raised catholic i remember like uh th- my first holy communion and uh the 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 sunday school and i remember this this dude who i had no I, he was just this fat white guy and and, and I, nothing to do with his race i'm just saying he was just I, I don't relate to you i'm mexican like you're it, i had no i don't know you and you're telling me what i need to believe and i, I think i was like in 5th grade and um He's saying you can't curse. You can't say any bad words. You can't say uh, "gosh darn it." You can't even say "damn" because that's a variation of saying "god damn it," which is the taking the Lord's name in vain. Which even to me at that time didn't mean saying "god damn it" was taking the Lord's name in vain. Taking the Lord's name in vain to me and, and has always been wishing God to hurt someone for you, <laughs> or or to uh, uh, use God's name to do something. To justify an inappropriate action that you know to be wrong, uh, like the Crusades or something like that, and right. uh, to, to profit off of God's name. Yeah, I mean that—that's an Old Testament concept. So. Yeah, 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 and 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 then uh, I remember just feeling like not okay with it, especially because. I didn't like being told. I've never been like I'm not like some super rebel. That's what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I I just don't like being told what. Let me figure it out for myself. Let me poke around in the dark and let me make my own decisions. And first, holy communion, and then I remember uh, it was it was a joke uh, because after uh, um, you know you, you take the host, you take the wine and. And then I get home and we have a little bit of a party. And my aunt, who was there with, uh, who was my, uh, God, I don't, I don't remember what we are supposed to call her. Like, uh, she was like my sponsor or something like that. She's like, great, you made your first Holy Communion. Now you can forget all your prayers. And I thought that was a joke at first, but no, like, <laughs> no one remembers their prayers anymore. No, no, no one remembers the Apostles' Creed or all that sort of stuff. And I remember when you, we have to go to, to, uh, confirmation, which is the third thing, when, when it's, it's basically like, um, it's like, baptism as a conscious adult and it was it was hell i, I, I hated it. it 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 everything about it like i had to go to confession for the first time and uh we were it wasn't one of those booths like in the movies where like you move the little slide aside and the the priest is sitting there and tell me your sins son you have to cross and say this. But, you know i was in like the crying room in the dark with some dude i had no idea who the hell he was he was just this The priest uh, at the – what did did they call it on base? The chaplain? Yeah, the chaplain. And uh, he was the uh, Catholic chaplain and I'm sitting in front of him. He's like, tell me your sins. I'm like, I don't have any sins. I I don't feel guilty for anything. Like the only thing I can feel guilty for is that I don't feel like I love God. Like you keep telling me I have to love God and this is how confusing it was for me was like, I don't want to marry this guy. like, And he, he started laughing. And I'm like, what? He's like, you're not supposed to be in love with God. You're just supposed to love him and his message. And I was like, well, why didn't you tell me that at the first time? Because like, it was so confusing to me. Everything was like so... And the, the whole point of this is, since I was a little kid, was the absolute crushing fear that I was going to go to hell.
1: Yeah. Uh, well... I had sort of a similar experience. My my mom, she was part of a charismatic Christian group, so I went to this. Uh, man, this this all ties into wrestling. I promise. So if I ramble a little bit, no, trust I, me, I'm I, coming I, I back. Want to to, I, want
0: to, I want to talk about whatever you, what you want to talk about, man. This is your open forum. I remember what the heck it was. I think I may be wrong, but I
1: think it was called the Crystals. And it was two days where we were locked in a church basement, and. What it is, is this particular charismatic Christian branch uh, would sort of indoctrinate you into this. It's when you're a teenager, and the huge emphasis is not to have sex.
0: Uh, oh my God, I know exactly what you're talking about. It, like, you tell so, yours, and I'll tell mine.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I ended up meeting this guy here, and this guy I can mention by name, and I hope he's listening, uh, because I never give him enough credit, and I really should, because he's the only reason that I'm interested now. Uh, a kid named Nick Miyaki. he was my age, uh, he went to, he actually lived in a different town, um, and somehow we started talking about wrestling, and his mom's cousin's kid was disco, he was somehow related to Disco Inferno, <laughs> uh, and I was like, man, I love Disco Inferno, and he's like, no, you're bullshitting me, man, I'm like, no, I freaking love that guy, like, He's in great shape. Uh, he does the stunner better than Steve Austin. Sacrilege, I know, but the video evidence is proof. Um, and I was like, man, I, I love his, his... It was right when he was doing the Boogie Nights thing with Alex Wright. Right. And I was like, oh, man, I love Disco Inferno. And so we ended up calling ourselves, because we broke into these little groups. It was me and Nick and one other guy, and we called ourselves Jacob as Israel. And mm-hmm. The only reason I knew that particular Bible story is because of all these things that I had done with my Jewish friends. And Jacob is Israel is Jacob went into the desert, and wrestled with God, and God deemed him Israel. And the nation of Israel shall be put upon you, Jacob. You are no longer Jacob. You are now Israel. And from you, the, the people of Israel will come. And that's how we get Israelites. So it was our, like, surreptitious way of bringing wrestling into this, for lack of a better term, weekend of brainwashing. Right. And Nick and I ended up becoming really good friends. We'd watch wrestling all the time. Uh, We'd wrestle on his trampoline. And we were going to go to wrestling school together. We got accepted into the WCW Power Plant. but We had to graduate high school first. Well, WCW shut down before we graduated high school. We both joined the military. I became a wrestler. Nick didn't. But uh, anyway, long story short, uh, so there is some elements of that, and it happens with any religion, right? right. But that was sort of uh, my most like deeply association with Christianity. As, as far as I went, was that chrysalis thing. Right. And it almost worked. They almost got me. But that whole time I was there, I was kind of, I was still like, man, I don't, I don't really buy this because I'm, I'm being guilted into something that I don't necessarily think is true. They're not trying to convince me that they're right. They're trying to convince me that everyone else is wrong. And, and that's sort of the, one of the tenets of charismatic Christianity. And that's why I just never really bought into it. I just never really fell for it.
0: It's so you know, blood and you guts. Or
1: me or my brother.
0: It's so blood and guts, man. It's – it's and before I forget, uh, church lock-ins at Catholic schools or if you're Catholic and you're on base, it, like it doesn't matter. I've shared this story with a million other people and I'll keep the details uh, aside because we're being amicable but uh, – From what I understand, church lock-ins are a controlled area where you get locked in the gym on base or wherever, and there's like 20 of you, and there's two chaperones that are hanging out, talking to each other the whole time, and it's basically a time to figure out how to get to third and a half base, and then stop. (laughs) And... uh. It's. I uh, hear you laugh. That, that's. It, it was. It was like a control system. And like when I saw uh, the Devil's Playground. Did you watch Devil's Playground when it came out? Like that that Amish documentary.
1: Uh no, I don't think I have.
0: They have this thing called where I, I can't remember the exact phrase that they call it, but it's basically the same thing: wavelength, frequency. What we're talking about right now. When you get to a certain age, uh, as, when you're being raised uh, Mennonite, um, they let you out in the world, and. Yeah, so,
1: Rumspringer.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, the videotape of these Amish kids that are smoking meth, playing video games, and of course they're going to go crazy because they've been told the outside world is evil. So, they go out and all of a sudden they find drugs, they find sex, they find booze, they find cigarettes, and they go completely crazy. And they can either come back and stay forever or never come back. Of course they're going to come back. I think it's like a 99% return rate because they all go – they're so repressed that they come to a point where they're like, oh, yeah, that place is the devil. <laughs> yeah, that you, you're, you're right. But uh, you and I grew up in uh, lesser uh, – uh, not lesser uh, – in environments that weren't as so uh, – everything is the devil. But at the same time though, uh, they certainly have their control uh, sequences, don't they?
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's funny that you bring that portion of it up, because going back to that chrysalis thing, it was for boys only. There's no women, no girls. Uh, One of the people (laughs) who had gone through the previous one, and who was like my sponsor, was a very good friend of mine who was gay. And I kind of knew, I've known him for, for many, many years. As soon as I knew what gay really was, I knew he was that. But he didn't come out until our senior year of high school, well after this chrysalis thing. So... That was one of the big things they told us too. Homosexuality is a sin. You're definitely going to hell. You're definitely going to hell. And, uh, which is not something that, you know, I, I don't even believe in hell. Most Jews don't. Um, but yeah, it, it is. And it's, I, I don't want to like paint this, this horrible picture of Christianity because there's, there's lots of good things about Christianity uh-huh. and there's many, many good Christians.
0: I don't believe you are. I think you're, I think we're just talking about the things that are getting to where we're going to end up in this conversation.
1: Right. It, it, this, is, this is my personal experience. So I don't want anyone listening to this to, to think that I'm condemning them personally if they happen to be devout Christian
0: And I am also saying the same thing. We're, we're just talking about our own experiences, guys. We're not shitting on your religion.
1: I wouldn't recommend my daughter to do something like I did of, of any type of faith. Uh, again, that's just, it's just my personal experience. But anyway, a- after all this, uh, it was really some of my military experiences. When you're in a heavy combat deployment, and I've had now four combat deployments to Afghanistan. My last one was at the Air National Guard. That was not a heavy combat deployment. We were very busy, we did a lot. We were working 12-hour shifts, but I was not getting shot at. We had rockets coming in pretty much daily, but they were not accurate, and they weren't aiming at us. So that compared to some of my previous ones, but those those previous ones, like the ones where I was wounded, the ones where my friends were dying, the ones where I'm seeing very traumatic stuff, there's something about that that, that sparks that inner reflection in that inner self discovery and that's where i really flipped that switch i had i had experienced all this jewish stuff when i was younger i knew parts of my family were jewish now i was identifying with it and i was seeing more of the teachings of modern reform judaism and i started to realize this is, this is how I feel. This is what I am, and this makes sense to me. Judaism, not in the scope of a tightly controlled religion, but as a culture that we can share, that we can leave something behind. And maybe our afterlife isn't this concept of heaven that I was taught in Christianity, in charismatic Christianity, Maybe the afterlife that I'm looking for is passing this cultural heritage that goes back 5,000 years on to my daughter, who will then pass it on to her children, who will pass it on to their children. So 5,000 years from now, I didn't let that culture die. And that's sort of – that's when I really became involved in it. And it started with – you know, speaking to a couple rabbis. And then you start reading a little bit of Torah, refamiliarizing yourself with Hebrew. You know, Duolingo was coming out right around this time. Oh, God, yeah. So
0: could, I'm like halfway through yeah. the German.
1: <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm fluent in German. Um, so I already knew how to speak a little bit of Yiddish. And now I already – I had learned a lot of Hebrew when I was younger. So I started to go into Duolingo and started to relearn some Hebrew. And then you pick a rabbi, and then I picked Reform Judaism, and then I started wearing a kippah on Saturdays, and then I cut out all pork, and then I'm putting mezuzahs on my doorframe and celebrating the high holy days and the days of awe and Hanukkah and passing these things on to my daughter. So
0: How, how did that make you feel? Uh I Sh- felt share with us like how one. good it how, share with us how good it felt to express yourself that way.
1: Well, I felt like I had a, a bigger purpose. So, a lot of times and you see it especially in like the military recruiting commercials now where people talk about wanting to be part of something bigger than themselves, right? And I wanted that too when I joined the military, but I joined the military under the guys of 9-11. 9-11 happened. I had just turned 18. Like two weeks ex- to the day, two weeks before 9-11 happened. Yeah. So I joined the Marines right away. And my I, I wasn't necessarily looking for that that higher purpose. Because I joined under the auspices of our generation's Pearl Harbor. I joined the way my grandfather joined in World War II. Understood. Because. I felt there was a job that had to be done. So,
0: Where coming in, threatened.
1: reinvigorating the culture and the society of my my ancestors. You know, I'm my grandmother was not a practicing Jew, so I've in her mother really wasn't either. So I've got to go back, you know, four generations to when we're talking about really seriously practicing Jews. But that's my culture. And now I'm connected with that. And now I've found that thing that's bigger than myself. I'm finding these these ancestors who we almost let that spark die out. Now I'm reinvigorating it and and passing it on to my daughter in a modern context. And that's something that I'm most proud of is, you know, I, I was raised very right wing. My father is still very right wing, and uh, he won't hear this podcast because he's not talking to me anymore because of the current political climate. So something I'm most proud of is escaping that mindset of super conservatism, conservatism. And one of my favorite rabbis, and anyone who's listening to this should, should find her on Twitter and TikTok because she's got a very, very positive message. It's just at Rabbi Sandra. Hold
0: on, hold she on. She is... Write it down. At Rabbi Sandra?
1: Yep. Okay. She is a black lesbian rabbi.
0: We gotta have her on the show.
1: She is... She's amazing. Amazing. I don't speak with her, like, personally, but we've had many interactions on Twitter and TikTok, and I'm telling you, she's got a great voice. Uh, her message is super positive, but... To go from someone who was raised fairly secularly and right wing to seeing Rabbi Sandra or my daughter who is part of the LBGT community and, and having that acceptance is something that I'm most proud of in my personal growth. And it's one of those things where I sort of feel those ancestors sort of smiling down on me. Because in their time, maybe that wouldn't have been accepted. But I think or I believe, whether it's true or not, I believe that they would have been open-minded enough and secure enough in their faith to say, you know what, the times have changed. But that doesn't change who you are internally and who you are as a person.
0: Now, one of the things that always bothers me is when people don't speak up when they should. And I have been guilty of something, and I want to talk to you about it specifically. Uh, right before the show on uh, two two Saturdays ago, uh, I show up. Everyone's joking around. You weren't there. And um, somehow, somehow someone started talking about vampires. And uh, one of the new recruits, I'm not going to mention who he is because I need to talk to him. But uh, he says, yeah, at least he ain't that faggot fucking sparkler. And I froze and I – uh I should have said something. And I had – Carnage was making his first appearance here so I wanted to make him feel welcome. So I took him and his wife to go get some pizza over at a Hell's Kitchen. And it was really bothering me, man. And I was like, I should have fucking said something. And he's like, said what? And I was like, like – Listen, man. I've said faggot a million times in my life. I'm not gonna lie, but it's never meant you were gay. It, it just meant you were just being a fag. <laughs> like, but at the same time, though, it's it's we got to move past that sort of thing. And at the same time, though, uh, Carter's like, "What's bothering you?" And I was like, "Man, if guns would have been around that, that guy would be done." And and then I started thinking like, he should have been done around me. I should have asked him what his problem with faggots were right off the bat because I'm a faggot. <laughs> like uh like I'm part of the I'm part of the, I'm part of it. So was my sister. Like like he had that twinge of I mean it. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do know what you're saying. And in in much
1: the same way uh that you just described that, that was a very common insult in I, in I, my circle growing up.
0: It, me too, man. It never meant I was gay, it just meant I was being a fag. Like I've had gay guys I've seen gay guys call other gay guys fags, so they're just being Like, but that's not the point. We have to move past that. We have to evolve. Uh, But the other thing is, I have to tell you, I'm sorry I didn't say anything. The best thing I I thought was like, God damn, good thing guns isn't here. Uh, No, I should have said something, man, and I'm sorry.
1: You know, it's uh, yeah. What can you do? No, I exactly. I should. I should. I don't let stuff like that stand. And the reason why is because I grew up around. I grew up, uh, not my mom, but my dad, would say that and mean it.
0: Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. He, so the Matthew Shepard case happened in Wyoming, but it happened very close to my hometown. Right. And my dad was one of those people who thought that Matthew Shepard deserved it, just for being gay and being in a bar. Yeah. And that was sort of how I was raised. And part of the reason that I'm so militant about accepting people for who they are is because I broke out of that sort of programming.
0: I thought I did and too I, and then I didn't stand up for something I believed in the other day. That's, I, I'm, we, we started talking about this conversation about uh, uh, Yom Kippur, about making amends. I should have said something and I'm so guilty of it and I'm sorry.
1: Well, you acknowledge it, and now you know for the next time how to handle it. Yeah, because nobody's perfect.
0: Nobody's Nobody's, perfect.
1: Nobody bats a thousand, right? So now, the most important part, and this goes back to Yom Kippur. The Hmm. most important part is that you learn from your mistake, and this is where. Uh, Even some of the most orthodox Jews get the spirit of Yom Kippur wrong. It's not enough to ask for forgiveness and have someone forgive you. It's to learn from that mistake and not do it again. Because what happens if the person doesn't forgive you? what? What if something you did was so offensive to that person that they don't forgive? And you have ruined that relationship. Well, that's—it's not up to you to try and force the forgiveness from that person. Agreed. It is now up to you to learn from that mistake. So, in your specific instance, it happened. There's nothing you can do to change it. you can't go back in time. No, you let it happen. But next time, I promise you this—you won't let it happen.
0: Agreed. That I can guarantee. Agreed. And the other thing is, I—it's—it's. It's good to be able to stand up for yourself and, you know, say – to express yourself. But at the same time though, it's uh, – you know, as a maturing adult or uh, – actually, rephrase that. As a maturing human, period, no matter what you believe in, you have to be able to approach it correctly. Like my immediate response was I wanted to wring this guy's fucking neck. But if I had done that, <laughs> no. Like, like you got to figure out how to, to have some grace to it and I think that's one of the best parts about – uh, what you're talking about in terms of Yom Kippur and, and figuring things out and asking for forgiveness as opposed to not expecting it as a, as well as learning how to forgive yourself. Because one of the biggest things I feel that is the worst part of our culture right now is not knowing how to deal with shame. Everyone's depressed. Uh, back in the 90s I was all about being jaded and not feeling your emotions now it's being too emotional and um, I have anxiety today okay great like how are you going to deal with it but at the same time though you can't just walk yourself in a room and cry and then call off from work you got to figure out how to get through it and be a, a worthwhile human being to your family to yourself especially and shame I feel is like uh, all, the, all the things that people do for themselves is not actually treating the problem it's just they're treating the symptoms like you got it, and I think shame is the worst one is in because you can't shake it unless you know unless you are able to acknowledge that that's the problem. And is like alcoholics, people that are sex addicted, whatever you're addicted to is is it's shame, and it's always what you run back to. And I, I'm loving what you're saying in terms of like that that self knowledge, man, and but. You you don't occur to me to be someone that's ever been a hardcore alcoholic or a druggie or you know you know what, am I, is what I'm saying making sense?
1: No, it it absolutely is, and it's a big problem in the United States right now. I won't get political here. That we can save that for another podcast. But in like I said, my dad isn't isn't talking to me right now, and he isn't talking to me because he's embarrassed.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I love that. You acknowledge
1: that I am able to prove wrong. And he's not willing to admit that he was wrong because it's embarrassing. I'm wrong all the time.
0: It sucks. It sucks.
1: I'm in college right now. I'm 37 years old and I'm in college and my wife and I just had this discussion about graduation because I don't want to do it because it's fucking embarrassing to be 37 years old and just now graduating from college. And her point is, no, you need to do this because you need to show other people who are non-traditional students. You need to show them that it can be done. right? And for me, the Mm -hmm. hardest part is it's embarrassing because I'm going to be there with a bunch of 20-year-olds and I could literally be their parent. And That's a really, really hard thing for me to deal with. Because my my thing is it doesn't matter, it's just a bachelor's degree. Just send me the just send it to me in the mail, I don't care. Yeah. Right? Because of the embarrassment. Because of having gray hair and walking across the stage to get your diploma. Right? And so it's something I still struggle with. But if we want to be truly mature. And again, this is all tying back to Yom Kippur for the listeners out there. I love it. To be be truly mature is to accept that embarrassment. Agreed. And realize that you're not always going to be right. And even sometimes your feelings aren't necessarily the right feelings because you're not looking at it the right way. In this graduation instance, I'm looking at it from a sense of my personal pride of I wasted my youth in the military. I didn't take enough college classes when I was in the military. I didn't do the things I needed to do. And now all my friends who didn't join the military have successful careers. They graduated college, you know, 15 years ago. So in my pride, I'm a disgrace. I'm an embarrassment. I'm
0: so far behind. You and I have the exact opposite problem. I got my degree back in 2015, and then I fucked around for a while, for a long time. Like, uh, on paper, I was successful as a reporter, like, okay, I was making good money, and now I'm selling insurance, and now I'm being a reporter on my own, reporting on things that I feel passionate about without having some editor tell me what to do. You and the other, and uh, me, at, at the same time, man, I should have joined the military. Why, like, I feel I feel dishonest as an American, as an American citizen, having not served time in the military whether I did my 4 or 10 if that's a thing like I I, I feel dishonorable among other military people even though I was raised in it and I have the culture and I respect it the way we should respect it Um, I I feel like you're feeling the opposite
1: well you know being raised in the military like you were probably gave you a pretty good insight of how much it sucks sometimes, <laughs> and it still sucks. I mean, there's a reason that I left active duty. I'd been on active duty for 14 years before I went into the National Guard. People told me I was insane. They're like, dude, you are six years from retirement. What are you thinking? And I'm like, well, I'll just retire from the National Guard instead. And they're like, are you crazy? I won't get into you know how the retirement system works, but, but retiring on the National Guard is not as good as retiring active duty. It just the- isn't.
0: But the point it's about it's
1: what insane. the same. But you know, it's what it's what's best for me. And it uh, what's best for again, it's it's all about getting rid of that pride, man. Getting rid of that pride, and that's a big that's another big concept. That's more of a Rosh Hashanah concept, the days of awe. But it ties into Yom Kippur too. Is sort of relinquishing that pride. Now I
0: want to I want to get into that. Okay. Go ahead. No, no, no. Like, no, relinquishing that pride. All right. So, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I I just didn't want to lose my idea. So, uh, I often get mad at people that don't want to go to funerals, and they're like, "Why would, why, why would you get mad if you're not going to the funeral? Because it is an absolute, uh, a human ritual that needs to be performed, so you can have a specific closure, even if you don't want it. You like body in ground. Prayers. We're we're doing like this is our form of mourning because it is necessary for the human being to go through mourning. If you don't go through mourning, it's going to fuck you up completely. And it sounds like what you, you're describing to me that you have specific organized holidays for specific human emotions that absolutely need to be dealt with with care and expression and personal journey.
1: No, they, I mean you are you are.
0: Dead on, dead on, and Catholicism doesn't have that. If if you don't mind uh, telling me some of the uh, of the holidays that represent certain points of the human psyche that need to be dealt with,
1: sure. Uh, so obviously uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is the new year, which you know leads into Yom Kippur. These are more about Forgiveness and a deep, deep inner reflection. Whether you're going through a very strict Yom Kippur service, which a lot of the Orthodox or conservative Jews do, or you take it in a more, you know, for lack of a better term, hippie-ish direction, which the Reform Jews do, where it's a very personal journey, Um, that is absolutely critical. For every person to do. And it's not something that you should only relegate to, you know, two weeks a year, one day a year. You should always be doing it. But it's very, very helpful to really look into yourself that one time a year and get very serious about, okay, over the last 365 days, what could I have done better, not for myself, but for everyone I interacted with? So... That's that's a big one. Another big one is Passover.
0: Mm-hmm. Now
1: for us, you know, Passover and Hanukkah are two big occasions for uh, families to get together, friends to get together. Those are big communal holidays. Yom Kippur, when you're not in the middle of a COVID pandemic, you do spend a lot of time at Temple, if that's how you choose to do it. Mm-hmm. But even though you're with a lot of people, it's not a communal experience in any way. Hanukkah and Passover are all about community. And it's all about lifting each other up and acknowledging feeling like an outsider. Not so much Hanukkah, but definitely for Passover. What we're acknowledging is the feelings of loneliness, the feelings of being an outsider, and a lot of those feelings of sort of self neglect. That you get through the story of Passover. Of course, Passover is when Pharaoh you know, is going to kill all the Jews and we were expelled from Egypt and wander in the wilderness. Uh, everyone knows the story of Passover.
0: Yeah, there was a guy named Joshua, by the way, that uh, smeared blood over the guys that were cool, by the way. I don't, I don't want to just throw it out there. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: it's true. So, but people who, you know, maybe. See Passover through a Christian lens, which is more about Easter, because of course the Last Supper was a Passover Seder. Right. Seder is just the an ancient Hebrew term for dinner. Um, it, it's not like a specific term. Yeah. But so that's our chance to, to deal with those feelings of being an outcast, of, of being rejected.
0: Is, is, and the, is the
1: way you do that is to come together as a group as a family, as friends, as whatever, and realize that we're all in this together. We're a global community. We're a worldwide community. Jews, Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, Taoists, non-religious people, agnostics, we're all in it together. It doesn't matter what you believe. Personally, the, the fact, the hard fact, is that we all exist on this globe and we all have to do it together. And that's sort the spirit of Passover. Hanukkah is is one of those occasions where uh, you still have a lot of people over, but it's sort of traditional, at least in Reformed Judaism, to bring some people who are not Jewish over. Because it's usually so close to Christmas, so it's an easy holiday to identify with, and right. expose them to our culture. And that meets that human need of belonging, where... Passover is addressing the issues of feeling like an outcast. Now you're feeling like you're not an outcast because now you're reaching out to those who maybe don't. know.
0: I want to pause, on, I want to pause on that.
1: Eat some potato lock keys and eat some delicious sufganiot. And, and Hanukkah has the best food. I don't you're, care what everyone's. Doing. A lot of people say Sakat does. I disagree. You're, Hanukkah you're, always has the best. Food.
0: You're. you Hold on. We got to put. Uh, you I've got like ten questions. Because uh, I appreciate I don't mean to interrupt you, but I gotta stop because to ask some questions about what you said. Is it normal to feel a, as an outcast as a Jew? Uh
1: probably not in Israel. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in uh, just about everywhere else, yeah, for sure.
0: Um the other thing is is I I I love the fact that you're talking about uh community. Is is part of Yom Kippur being part of community even though you are in self-isolation or even in your own headspace at temple, is it more comforting knowing that you're around a bunch of people that are doing the exact same, uh, forgive the term terminology, but the ritual, whether you're praying or on your knees or lighting a candle, you're, you're all looking for atonement. It, is How does that feel to be around other people in temple that are doing the same thing?
1: That's more of a more of a metaphysical connection as opposed to some of the other holidays where you are very present.
0: Does it strengthen you?
1: Definitely feeling it. Uh, Yom Kippur, in in part of this, you know, and this goes into even indigenous American rituals. There gets to be a point when you haven't eaten and you've spent a really long time doing self-reflection and meditation and prayer that you just feel connected to something outside of you and whether that's because you're starving and your brain's going crazy or you are really touching the beyond. It is what it is. You definitely feel it. There's no way to avoid it. If you don't eat or drink for 24 hours and you're spending that whole time sort of meditating on things and reading prayers, you're going to, there's some stuff that's going to happen. Right. Right. Um, So in that sense, yes, but it's hard to explain unless you've done it. Even if you're in a packed synagogue of, you know, a thousand people, which I've never been in one that big, but they exist. You still, the focus is on your personal growth. So in a sense, yes, you feel part of a group, but in... Like you're outwardly touching that group and you're connecting on a spiritual level. If that makes
0: sense. No, that makes perfect sense. But I I, I want to move on to talking about you specifically. Is there anything that you can share with uh with us that were me as of right now, but everyone's gonna hear it later? Uh some of the revelations you had um during this year's Yom Kippur?
1: Um, this year not so much. Um Last year, when I was in Afghanistan, that was a big one for me because I was doing it in Afghanistan with sort of like a rowdy bunch of guys, right? And quite a few guys who were not sort of naturally accepting of of me being sort of like a left leaning type of person. And the respect that they showed me, because I still had work to do. You can't take time off in the middle of a deployment. And Yom Kippur, you're not supposed to work. But in this case, it was allowed because I was deployed. But I would go do my work on a jet. And as soon as it was done, my whole chain of command and all the people around me, all my peers, would let me go. And we had this little room where there was computers set up, and you could sort of call your family. They gave me that whole room, that whole 12-hour shift. And about eight hours in, I was almost brought to tears because there was some people, one guy specifically, who really, me and him are just like oil and water in every personal belief. And he is the kind of guy who would naturally give me shit about it and he didn't he he'd let me do what i needed to do and never said one word about it and he would have been within his right to do so because technically i wasn't pulling all my weight that day
0: right
1: i, I wasn't sweeping out the communal area i wasn't taking out the trash i wasn't doing sort of these menial tasks that happen on deployment that he would have been within his right to complain about it. And he's the kind of guy that normally probably would have. But on that day, he didn't. And that taught me so much about forgiveness and realizing the importance of others within the self.
0: Especially because, because. You're, in an, you're in an environment where you're in a heightened sense of awareness and completely on edge. Where where the – like you're not necessarily in prison but you're also in a situation where uh, it's life-threatening and when people – human beings get in those sort of situations, they tend to let the worst of themselves or all of it out. So you got to taste someone that was kind of a dickhead and uh, gave people shit all the time but all of a sudden you found out that he secretly respected you.
1: And he he had maybe you can call it the divine Spirit if that intervened, or if he just recognized how important that was to me, right. And that showed me a lot of like, maybe I am too quick to judge people. Maybe that hard outer shell that a lot of people put out, is just a disguise. And and inside, whether it's deep inside or just below the surface, they really are a deeply caring individual. And especially in the military, if you plan to make a career out of it, or even if you plan to just do four years, you have to care about other people. You don't join the military for yourself. No one does. It is not a selfish business. But there's a lot of times, especially when I'm running into really far right-wing people in the military like you do, You sort of, you know, when you have my personal belief system anyway, you tend to judge them as being selfish and only caring about themselves. And that's not the case. And that was demonstrated to me really last year. That was was my big revelation last year was I was way too quick to judge people my whole life, but especially the year before. And to sort of try and get to know people on a deeper level. And we might not agree on everything.
0: You're not supposed but, to, <laughs>
1: right? That's the sort of what makes us human, right? Agree. Because this this is a guy who, you know, this one individual we're talking about now. He's he's very very conservative Christian type of person, and who had made several comments about you know, I I just haven't been saved yet, or I just didn't know enough, like. Can't you see the evidence right in front of you? Jesus is the Messiah. I'm like, well, for every point that you make that he is the Messiah, I can make a point that he's not. But we're right. not going to get into that because we're at work and we're not even supposed to be talking about this. Agreed. And, and on that one day, he had enough respect for my beliefs and me as a person to let it all go away. And our relationship changed after that. It really did. Because it was getting pretty bad, because you know Yom Kippur last year fell pretty close to the end of my deployment, and it had been a we were we were getting to a point where it was it was getting rough to be working around us, and it really changed after that. And we're never going to be like best buddies,
0: right? But we you definitely
1: understand each other now, and. Now on drill weekends, we do work on different shifts. That has nothing to do with this. It's just the way the cookie crumbles. But when he comes in and I'm on the way out, we'll, we'll sit and chat just for a minute. And it's usually superficial stuff. How's the family? You know, he's got two young sons who are giant. I can tell you right now they're going to be awesome athletes. Um, he'll ask how my daughter's doing, even though, you know, but, he's one of those guys who nec- doesn't necessarily support the LGBT community.
0: But not and, uh, not in one of and, those ways where he's waiting for his turn to talk. He's legit interested to make sure that you're okay because you're – you and him to him – to, um, you to him and him to you are shining examples of I'm a better person now because of you.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And – you know, the big one is he never gave a shit about my wrestling before. And at, by the end of that deployment, he was not necessarily interested. In, he's not a pro wrestling fan at all. But he'll he'll just give me the old, like, hey, man, you win any titles lately
0: kind of thing. He's he's, and, he's, he's interested. He, he wants to hear about your successes because you guys – like mutually benefited from overcoming a huge obstacle of that superficial I hate you you're pissing me off and you made me a better person and like I generally want to know like I don't want to know all of it but like tell me once some titles tell me all the good stuff man yeah
1: absolutely absolutely
0: now uh we've we've gotten pretty deep in Yom Kippur and I I really think we did a good job in terms of talking about what it t- the terms that you have to come to and what you have to do to actually reflect and be a better person. But um, you've grown up a wrestling fan your whole life, and you were telling me that you were pretty schooled and knowledge on all the Jewish wrestlers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is my bread and butter, baby.
0: Let me hear it. Hit me with it.
1: Okay. So obviously we know right now uh, probably the two – most recognizable active wrestlers who are Jewish MJF. are Seth and Cole Cabana. Agreed. And, of course, I got to wrestle Cole Cabana right before he fully signed with AEW. No big
0: deal. Uh, check it out on my YouTube channel. Really proud of that match.
1: It, it had been a dream of mine to wrestle Cole Cabana for, for so long. And me and uh, my good friend J.D. Mason, who's a very accomplished wrestler on the Pacific Northwest – we were talking about wrestling Cole Cabana because JD is also Jewish. Uh, we were talking about wrestling Cole Cabana back in you know 2006 when we first met. So uh, definitely a long time coming, but gotta brag about that a little bit.
0: No, you um, and then of it.
1: course, probably the most famous Jewish wrestler of all time is Barry Horowitz. No, I'm kidding. Of course, the most famous wrestler, <laughs> Jewish wrestler of all time is Goldberg. Of
0: course.
1: Um, Goldberg never made any bones about it. In fact, he came out with his biography when he was still in WCW. and the back cover is a picture of him facing away from the camera, and he's wearing his yarmulke. That's beautiful. Um, which I thought was really cool, and I really identified with that when I got it when I was a teenager. And then there's, uh, you know, George Hackenschmidt, who – the The Russian Lion, as he was known, was one of the first people to fight for what eventually became the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. It was Jewish. Uh, then there's some that a lot of people know, but some people might not, like Raven. Really? Are, are you serious? Yeah, Scott Levy. Yes, of course he's Jewish.
0: <laughs> okay, that's awesome.
1: Uh, Another one that a lot of people know is uh, Dean Malenko and his father Boris Malenko. Of course, um, that's a pretty popular one. Um, and then there's some that that people don't know, like Bat Side Isle. Uh, a big one that people forget about: Billy Kidman. Really? Uh, one that always surprises people is. Randy Savage, and and Lanny Poffo.
0: Oh no, I'm, I'm all about that, man. <laughs> absolutely. Uh,
1: probably the, the one that really surprises people when I throw it out there, and even because she does celebrate Christmas, and that's more because of who she's married to now, but a uh, very accomplished Jewish wrestler is Medusa.
0: Really? Medusa?
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Oh, that's awesome, man.
1: Uh Alundra Blaze, for those of you who don't know, aren't familiar with her work in AWA and WCW. Um, Yeah. Uh, Victoria or Lisa Marie Varone, as some people might know her. That's
0: how I know her.
1: Of course. The famous famous promoter, Sam Muchnick, is is Jewish. Uh, He he never really made that. that many bones about it but the nwa would not exist without sam muchnick and some say that's why he had his good business acumen heyman
0: uh, heyman is jewish too right who's that paul heyman
1: of course yes paul heyman extremely jewish but he, he's one that sort of never uh made a big deal made a big deal about it but you could just always kind of tell
0: <laughs> right <laughs> um well, he does have a lot of money.
1: That's <laughs> true. It's, his dad's a lawyer. I mean, um, but there's some other ones too that you know some people might not uh, might not think of, like Eric Cannon. His family's Jewish. Uh, Albert Prince Albert,
0: really? Tensai, Are you serious? Matthew. That's yes. cool.
1: Uh, his his family is Jewish, and then of course the one that. That I always like to throw out there because in, in, the attitude has changed about him in the last couple of years. But David Arquette, their family is also Jewish.
0: Man, uh, I love the Arquettes, man. I love David Arquette. I love the way he, he's approaching things. And it, it reminds me of what you're talking about, going to school uh, and graduating when you're f- almost 40. Is that he's wrestling as a legit wrestler, doing death matches only because he has to prove himself. But... He's, he's a legit wrestler now, man, and I love, I love his family. I'm sorry to hear what happened to Alexis Arquette. Um, that, that broke my heart. Uh, guys, if, if, uh, if you don't know who that is, that's the guy that burst out of the uh, bathroom in Pulp Fiction. He's also George in The Wedding Singer.
1: And what I know him best as is the first person that Tiffany kills in Bride of Chucky.
0: <laughs> that was my first date, man. that that was my first date that was my first date I opened my wallet to hand money to the uh, uh, the ticket taker and I opened my wallet upside down and like condoms fell out and it was like god damn it (laughs) (laughs) oh what a dork (laughs) like I was gonna get it I was like 17 man but I was just like just in case (laughs) and uh (laughs) yeah he was the first one killed by Tiffany I love it
1: uh, I took a girl on a date to see Ready to Rumble, so I can't really, like, talk too much shit. I
0: assume you're still married to her because uh, your wife is pretty badass, man. I love the fact that your family supports you so hardcore. Yeah.
1: Uh, it, it wasn't easy sometimes, but, uh, yeah, and, and probably the weirdest thing is, you know, my wife is a college professor. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she's married to some schlub who's in the military. And
0: you're some dumbass some- knuckle dragger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, although I did kill a lot, so she uh, also teaches concurrent enrollment classes, which are college classes to high school kids, and so I was able to go in uh, last year and talk to her kids about Hanukkah, and so, you know, I brought some dreidels and some chocolate coins and a menorah, and we had a little, read them, the classic Hanukkah tale of Herschel and the Hanukkah goblins, and, uh, and so that was pretty fun, so... I, I do. I do like talking about the culture of Judaism. I really, really do. And it's one of those things where not a lot of people feel comfortable asking. Because sometimes they feel like maybe they're going to offend me or maybe they don't know the right questions to ask. Like right before we started recording, you were like, Hey man, like what can't I say? I'm like, man. As long as you don't call me a slur, you can ask me anything you want. I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about it. And, you know, a lot of people feel uncomfortable asking me my thoughts about Israel. Man, I'll, I will talk about that all the live long day.
0: Have you been to Israel?
1: You know? uh, I have not. I have not ever been to Israel.
0: How, how are your thoughts on what's going on with Palestine?
1: Uh, my thoughts on the nation of Israel is that the only person... That can make the nation of Israel is God. It says it very clearly in the Torah. Uh so no, I do not believe that it's a legitimate nation historically or religiously. So part of the problem with getting a history degree is you learn the history of the world.
0: (laughs) And now it's gonna repeat (laughs) itself.
1: (laughs) There's a lot of uncomfortable truths about uh you know some of our allies and about this country, but uh yeah. Uh I I feel very, very bad for the Palestinians. I very, very much do. And I don't believe that a two-state solution is the correct answer. I think it should go back to how it was pre-World War II. I understand how the state of Israel came to be uh, because of how our people were treated in World War II and we had to go somewhere. But, uh, you know, that my friend, is definitely for a different
0: podcast. <laughs> well, we have to do it, man, because uh, I'm absolutely fascinated with it. But uh, tell me what are some of the cooler parts about being a Jew, man. Like, uh, from what I understand, one of the best parts about being a uh, white Jewish male is that you're a hardcore hip-hop fan.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I, I am pretty well-versed in hip-hop. Um, it's it's pretty pretty much required. You also have to be into reggae because – any middle-class Jew like myself has to be a huge fan of Modest Yahoo, which I am.
0: Of course, man. Um, I, play, I, I played that song for you probably out like 35 times now already. I love playing your song.
1: Uh, it's my entrance music. For those who are listening to the podcast and don't know, I use Modest Yahoo's Champion. Champion, man. Uh, he, uh, he has actually had a huge influence more of an influence than I think he even realizes he's had on American Judaism because he started off as very Hasidic and then he went on his own personal spiritual journey and he's still very very Jewish but of course he no longer has the beard he no longer has the peyote which is you know the locks um, he no longer dresses in that Hasidic manner Um, but he's still very entrenched in his own Jewish identity. So his journey of self discovery, going from, you know, basically being a drug addict when he was younger, to becoming Hasidic, to becoming a reggae superstar, to becoming who he is now, sort of a fully formed, older, mature human being, has had a huge influence on a lot of people my age, um, who are American Jews, who maybe felt sort of disconnected from our heritage we got to see in real time someone that we admired and could relate to have the same sort of personal journey and, and personal discoveries
0: that we were going
1: on and it really helped a lot of us
0: are there any so, uh, are there any contemporary jewish people that you really look up to or you you would hope that uh uh up and coming <laughs> jews uh would would uh, check out or or Anything that people that are interested in religion would want to uh, research? I think
1: a great start is, again, uh, Rabbi Sandra. Uh, she is such an inspiration for, she should be an inspiration for every Jewish man and woman, but especially for modern American Jews and people who are interested in the Jewish faith. To see that diversity in Judaism is not something you see commonly. Right. Right. Most most people, especially in America and in Europe, when you say the word Jew, they think big white, big nose, curly hair. It's just what they think. Right. They don't picture. They certainly don't picture me. And they definitely don't picture Rabbi Sandra. So that's someone that I look up to as as a female lesbian rabbi. Who's married to a Jewish woman, and I mean that's that's inspirational any way you look at it.
0: I and again, for it comes I, I
1: hate to sound like a total like basic mark, but if you're interested in in Judaism at all, or you think it's part of your your heritage, or you want to identify with it, look into Modestyahu's journey. That's a very public figure who has a lot of information out there about him that's very easy to research. Um, and it's someone that is very inspirational his journey especially dealing with the fame that he had um, is something that that everyone should be able to relate to and his music is very very powerful you can see his progression through his albums and uh, that's definitely someone someone that you should look up to and there's a lot of great uh, sort of younger Jewish writers as well um, and older Jewish writers. Of course, you can always look up to someone like Ely Wiesel or Art Spiegelman or some of those type of people Who as did,
0: well. Uh, Spiegelman did Mouse for everyone that doesn't know. And M.A., it, it kind of looks like a 5, but it's the S, and there's a swastika behind it because it's it's like animal form for Jews when it comes to anthrop- yes, anthropomorphic, uh, anthropomorphic uh, personification of the Holocaust.
1: Absolutely amazing, one of the most powerful graphic representations of the Jewish experience in in history. So I first read Mouse when I was maybe you know twelve or thirteen when they first put both volumes out because my library had it.
0: And that's how I read it. I, I, I thought it was a, a comic book about Nazis and kicking ass as the United States. And I ended up actually getting a uh, schooling on how to be a better person and what real pain is and how to tell a story. Like it, like maybe 15?
1: Yeah, it is, it is absolutely an amazing work. My wife teaches a course called The Sociology of Comic Books and that's one of the required readings is mouse and it never fails. People see it. And especially college students, they're like, man, a comic book about, like, mice and cats and, man, this is going to be lame. And it is it is outstanding. But Spiegelman <laughs> also wrote many essays on the Jewish experience. And thankfully, Art Spiegelman is still with us. Um, of course, his father, Vladek, is, you know, long passed away. But um, he's someone that you can definitely look up to. As an American Jew, as someone who he is has made no bones about ever being like a very serious practicing Jew, but everything he does is through a Jewish lens, an American Jewish lens. No, with a father who was a Holocaust.
0: Now, as we're winding down here, what are some of the aspects of the Jewish faith that even if you aren't uh, someone that believes in God or a God, could relate to and? I'm going to bring a statement again because if you ever read Anton LaVey's like 11 commandments, there's a few things that I think are absolutely pertinent. Like do not make unwanted sexual advances. Do not disrespect people in their lair. Do not give people advice unless asked for, because if you give them advice, you're intruding on them. I'm not saying that LaVey had the best idea, but there's some things about different religions and I, I bring it to that sort of contrast uh, for you to tell me some of the best parts about the the Jewish faith that anyone could relate to or even apply to their day-to-day how to be a better person
1: well the simple answer is always the Ten Commandments and that's a big tenet of Christianity as well and of Islam they're all we're all people of the book the Abrahamic religions we all believe in you know what is commonly referred to in the West is the Old Testament. So the Ten Commandments, of course, is it's sort of like the golden rule. Right. Those are two things that will always make sense forever and ever. But like I said, that's a really basic answer. The one thing that that Judaism has has very much touched on my heart and the experience that I have is the concept of forgiveness. And that is not just forgiving others, but That's
0: seeking forgiveness
1: way. for your own wrongs.
0: Which is coming And back not to in about a about superficial
1: means. way, because Agreed. so many people take that superficially. And what I mean is a deep, personal forgiveness of someone who has wronged you or someone you have wronged. That is a huge, huge proponent of Judaism that has, has been there since, you know, 3000 B.C. when we were still Israelites. And that's something that will exist, I think, as a human struggle forever and ever and ever. But if you want to be a good human being, you have to give forgiveness and seek forgiveness, and not just superficially. If you want to obtain forgiveness for your wrong, you have to change, and you have to learn from your wrong, and you have to correct it. And you should hold people to a similar standard, but don't be afraid to forgive other people who have wronged you. And that, I think, is something that is very, very deeply entrenched in the Jewish faith, and it should be taught in every faith. It's a tenet in in almost any faith, but it's something that really speaks to me and I think can everyone can you know learn from
0: where can we find more uh what what are some of your favorite uh books of literature other than mouse uh that those that are listening right now whether they're wanting to be uh or convert to Judaism or even uh explore the ideas or even just uh try to figure out a way to be a better person what are some of your favorite books of literature or graphic novels even or or cds that you like that can really get you to the place?
1: Uh, So there's two Modest Yahoo albums that I would recommend that everyone listen to start to finish. And the first one is called Akeda, and that refers to the Binding of Isaac from the Torah. And the second one is uh, called Sparksy. And if you can find any of the writings from the Baal Shem Tov, who is the man who started Hasidic Judaism. Even though I don't agree with a lot of what Hasidim do, the writings of the Bal Shem Tov will absolutely change your life. And whether you believe in a higher power or a spirit or whatever, You can relate to his writings, and even now, he was writing in the 1700s, even now, you can relate to those things that he was saying. Um, They're very easy to find. Um, You can go on Chabad.org. Again, the Chabad movement is not necessarily something I agree 100% with, but they have a huge repository of just fantastic information, and they're not overly preachy about it. They're not trying to convert you to Judaism. They're just there to, uh, if you want it, you will come to them, right? Judaism is not about proselytizing uh, like many Christian branches are. That is not a. That's not something that Jewish people do. But uh, Chabad.org is a place you can go. And Chabad is a, is a Lubavitcher movement, so it's a Hasidic movement. But they do have a really, really Great repository of information, and they have many of the writings of the Baal Shem Tov available there. Um, and then, lastly, I would say, in the modern times, for anyone to cons- to conceive of modern Judaism, you have to look at it post Holocaust. So there's many, many great works about the Holocaust. And I would implore anyone who's interested in modern Judaism to look beyond the Hollywood glitz and glamour of, say, Schindler's List.
0: Or maybe uh, they could try out The Boy in the Straight Pajamas.
1: Yeah, the, the big one uh, – and this is one that you should watch for sure. If you have HBO Max, it's on there. I got it. It's Au Revoir, L'Enfant by Louis Maul. Um that means goodbye children in French, fantastic film. Um, it's not necessarily related to the Jewish faith. It's told from a Catholic perspective. Um, but it's autobiographical about the experiences that Louis mall had during world war two. He was a boy during world war two. Um, he's a very acclaimed director. Uh, he used to, he was, he was married to Candace Bergen. Uh, Murphy Brown, Brown. but uh, yeah, and uh, he ended up dying of cancer, but um, he was a boy in World War II in France, so that's a great one, Um, I mean, there's just, there's so much stuff out there, you know, the Jewish culture is, is so rich, and has influenced so much of Western society, even if Western society doesn't necessarily know it, so you can't go too far without hitting some sort of uh, Jewish cultural influence so I would just say to anyone who's interested in it just start small start with those few suggestions and and pretty soon you might you might feel that it's something that you identify with or you may discover like I did that it's part of your family you know right. there's there's been millions of us so uh, I'm, you, you may be maybe more Jewish than you realize.
0: Uh, last question: What did you learn from this year's long Yom Kippur? Oh,
1: I learned that you can still be uh, very introspective and still accomplish the, the purpose of the holiday, even when you're isolated from other people and in a lonely space. It made me think, again, to the Holocaust when there was people who were living in hiding and there was maybe one, maybe two of them and would still find time to reflect on what they could have done better and and how they could seek forgiveness in that year. Now, I don't want to compare COVID-19 to the Holocaust by any means, but that is a reflection I had of thinking how lucky we were even in these terrible times to be as fortunate as we are now, if that makes sense.
0: That makes perfect sense because it, it the one thing I, I feel that I learned from COVID was to be even more appreciative of what, what I have. Not that I wasn't unappreciative of it beforehand, but now like uh, I used to be a waiter, man, like a, uh, I didn't expect to be on the upside of this coin flip where I watched like uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and I, I, or reading those John Steinbeck novels. I, I assumed I would have been one of the guys shining shoes trying to make his way to California or putting some uh, feed that I got because Atticus helped me out on his back porch. Uh, and all of a sudden I'm on the right side of the flip. And it really had a huge impact on my psyche and how – I appreciate every little God-forsaken or God-given thing, where there's some guy that looks like he hates me because I got long hair and I'm in all black. That would open the door for me uh, at a gas station, or even getting to take the chance to ask uh, a very nice gentleman who could probably fold me in half the chance to talk to to me about his faith in a very open and very candid. Safe manner, and I really appreciate it.
1: Well, I appreciate you for having me. And to that end, I would say uh, it's just like Warren Zevon said when he was dying from cancer, and David Letterman asked him, You know, what advice would you have now that you're at the end of the line? And he just said simply, Enjoy every sandwich. When you can figure out and relate to that quote, it's all you need in this world.
0: Guns, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, man. Uh, is there anything you have left while we're winding down?
1: Um, nope, that's it, man. Uh, check me out on all my social medias. You can just search for Big Guns Justin Andrews. Um, keep up with me on on all my wrestling comings and goings, and I uh, hope to see everyone at the
0: shows. We'll be there, man. It's you're, you're always one of the brightest brightest faces that there that's there. We can always smell you coming up. <laughs> Your Ferrari. Or your Porsche? Was it Ferrari or Porsche?
1: Uh, well, I am known as the best smelling wrestler <laughs> in Colorado. So uh, no matter what I'm in, you'll definitely smell me.
0: Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure having the show. I'm going to wind it up. Don't hang up. Guys, this is Minefields. This transmission is over and this is dangerous.